welcome to Directionally Correct, a people analytics podcast with Cole and Scott. Today's guest, Renee Davis. Have you um, have you listened to any of the episodes, Renee, or are you just coming into this cold? I'm coming into this completely cold. So well, then things, so. you're in for a average experience, I'm telling you. <laughs> I haven't listened to any episodes either, so it's all good. Scott has listened to all the episodes at least a hundred <laughs> times because he has to edit them, and that I'm sure he probably hates his voice after that's done. I never listen to podcast episodes if I'm on them because I can't stand listening to my voice. But I, I promise to listen to a different episode on your podcast to get a vibe for what the others are like. Well, hey, I'm curious what um you said in in your email that you might have some interesting people analytics topics to chat about with us. Any, any of those you want to whet our appetite with? Yeah. So I think like a couple ones. So one, I'm just very sort of removed from web two people analytics. Mm-hmm. So I would love to get your take on like what mm. people are talking about in people analytics right now. And where's the headspace of IO practitioners at right now? Um, is anyone even talking about blockchain or web three? Uh, in people analytics sort of organizations. And then I have a few takes on like the implications I see coming for Web3. And I think it's going to be like really disruptive for people analytics. And, um, you know, it, it feels like this entire multi-billion ind- dollar industry is really sleeping on crypto right now. And I think that's just a wonderful opportunity for, uh, for people to kind of take back their data in a way that's very meaningful. So very excited to talk about that later. I'll give you all my thoughts on uh, people analytics and web 2.0. Once you tell me what that is. <laughs> uh, I think, I think that's a good place to get started. Are you guys good if we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Welcome. This is directionally correct. A people analytics podcast with Cole and Scott. Scott, good to hear from you again, buddy. Glad you're here. We have an esteemed guest today. Do you want to tell us who they are? Yes, uh, guten tag, might I say. I'm in uh, Munich, Germany today. I'm probably, you know, 60% schnitzel at this point, uh, <laughs> overdosing on beer gardens and this sort of thing. But we have uh, Renee Davis with us. Welcome, Renee. How you doing? Hey, Scott. How you doing? Doing well. Well, good. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about Renee real quick. Renee is an organizational psychologist and data scientist building decentralized research communities and helping the world go bankless. And she'll tell you more about that in a minute, what that means if you're not familiar with some of these terms, because we're definitely going to have some words and terms discussions today. This is going to be exciting. She is the founder of TalentDAO, which we'll also explain what that is in a second. Um, A research and data community building open source tools in the Web3 ecosystem. Renee is also on the Bankless DAO, or is a Bankless DAO OG and early contributor to many other DAOs within the ecosystem. Her thinking informs thousands of people every day on what the future of work might look like and become. Renee, I'm so stinking excited you're here. One of, and let me, let me just kind of share from the heart for a second. One of the things that got me so excited about being on this podcast, and I put this in a post on LinkedIn when we first started, was to talk about to talk to people who everyone in the field of people analytics knows, but also people who they should know and maybe they don't. And I was thinking just about you when I was hoping you would join the podcast because I don't think you had said yes at that point when I said that. And so I'm so glad you're here. Maybe, maybe we can start again, just kind of with some words and terms here, because if people aren't familiar with this space, 
what is the space that you reside in? And I would just say blanket. This is kind of the crypto. And if you're not into the cryptocurrency world, you're probably not going to understand a lot of this stuff. And so hopefully Renee can kind of be your, your translator to get you into this space. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, just thrilled to be here and talk to you guys today. Um, yes. So many people might call what I do working in crypto or cryptocurrency. I think there's a very negative stigma with that. Um, there's a lot of crypto is scam sort of rhetoric thrown around. Um, I am definitely not a financial trader or anything like that. I do very, very little. So the best way to think about what I do is I work in the what I prefer to call blockchain industry um, as an organizational consultant, helping other communities and businesses with their strategy in this space. So I am sort of an IO psychologist within the crypto community. And what, there's a lot of things different that go on in there. Oh, sorry, Renee. Like, what, what is the blockchain? What, what is <laughs> all this? We're like... going to have a lot of this today. I'm sorry. You're going to have to go back to square one. I'm just let's a simple caveman here. This is fantastic. I love it. So let's start from the beginning. So the blockchain is a globally distributed ledger system. So it is a technology that allows us to build uh, financial tools and uh, data storage solutions and any sort of technology where we want the sort of maintenance and operation of that technology to be distributed and decentralized. So a really good example I like to use is everybody, for the most part in our industry, is very comfortable with the idea of cloud storage, right? We look at something like uh, AWS. So AWS has these data servers all over the world. That's Scott actually works at AWS, by the way. Perfect. This is wonderful, <laughs> then. This will really resonate with you. So AWS has all these servers all over the world. And by having that distributed system, they're really, you know, they're able to scale what they can store and what they can process. Right. Um, the problem is that they're incredibly centralized. If Amazon failed or, you know, God forbid, Bezos absconded with money and like took everything with them, that would be it. We'd all be done. Well, the blockchain takes that concept of distributed data centers with the exception that instead of every data center being owned by Amazon, it's actually owned by some individual running a node operator on their desktop. So there's people all over the world maintaining the blockchain, keeping it up and running. Um, the most popular one right now is by far, you know, you hear about Bitcoin a lot and things like Ethereum. And these are systems, uh, primitives really, that allow you to build sort of these very complex systems that are autonomous. And if you have people that are willing to run just a very small portion of that network, you're able to scale it and have essentially like a decentralized cloud solution. Um, there's very, very, very many various solutions that are being built on blockchain, but I think you know data storage is a really easy one to understand. Um, so I'm gonna stick with that as a primary example. We're going to get more into some of these definitions here in a second, but I want to make sure that the audience learns a little bit about you, Renee. So maybe can you talk to us at all, like anything about your background or your history or your work history that you would like to share and maybe even how you got into people analytics and IO psychology, but also how you got into kind of the blockchain industry, as you mentioned? Yeah, great question. Um, so like many sort of traditional IO psychologists, um, I went to grad school. So and got a master's in industrial organizational psychology. Um, and as is, I'm a PhD candidate focused on sort of studying complex system design. 
Um, so I was in academia for a handful of years. Uh, wasn't the great place for me. I really value academic information and, and doing research, but it didn't move quite as fast um, as I cared for. So I went to the applied world. I spent uh, just under four years at Deloitte Consulting doing mostly organization design and people analytics strategy work. So we helped uh, sort of build a lot of products and uh, services for the human capital industry. Um, and you know what got me really into the blockchain space was actually sort of this desire to have more freedom and agency within my own personal work. And I was just so frustrated with the sort of current work paradigm that's um, you know, very institutional, very political, very hierarchical. Um, and it's just, it's really hard to find a job that provides true work-life balance, that provides autonomy and growth, but that's also like really interesting work. Um, so I found myself starting to kind of live vicariously um, through crypto. And I got into um, a podcast called The Bankless Podcast, which talks a lot about like DeFi, which is decentralized finance and a lot of like tools in this space. Um, and it really educated me on what's possible. And what really kind of made me go really down the rabbit hole was actually NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. You can kind of think of them like digital trading cards, right? Like if you were a Pokemon card fan or a baseball card fan as a kid, you know, imagine having digital copies of that. And that was last summer. Um, and then I heard about this thing called a DAO. And from there, I pretty much was hooked. Um, and a DAO, for those who don't know, is an acronym. It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. I think there's a lot of sort of energy being put into defining what that is. And I, I don't really think definitions are that important right now because it's so new, but I'll, I'll add a description. And I think of a DAO as sort of a network of virtual teams, a network of community members with a shared purpose and shared capital. Uh, driving towards some end goal and their community is enabled by the blockchain. Um, so it's kind of a web three native, digitally enabled organization. Um, it's very, very different than what many of us are used to. There's a lack of sort of formal hierarchy and you know, not as much policies uh, implemented. Um, there's no like HR department hanging over your head. It's very autonomous. Uh, work is come as you go and please works permissionless. It's just an entire new frontier. And that got me very excited. So back in October of 2021, I quit my job at Deloitte to start TalentDAO and start diving into this space and studying this new organization structure that has been bubbling up right under our noses. What kind of organizations would have worked best for this kind of DAO system, like I know, like it's, it's a spectrum, really. So on one hand, you have say like the military. You could not imagine a more hierarchical sort of structure. And on the other end, you have, oh, I don't know, some sort of like Twitter organization, grassroots sort of effort. As far as like a, a organization that uh, is trying to make money <laughs> by developing a product or a service, what what would be best served by a DAO? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that you're going to see um, a whole new sort of subsector form where you have sort of DAO use cases embedded within a traditional uh, organization. 
It's like a hybrid um, approach sort of. Correct. And I think that for me, the best, what I see is like the best use cases for DAOs right now is anytime you need to have the ability to rapidly uh, make collective decisions. And anytime you need the ability to have a very distributed team that needs to work autonomously, um, or anytime you need to coordinate um, across a lot of different labor pools without having a ton of middle management layers. I think all of those are great use cases for a DAO. Another cool thing about DAOs is they offer sort of collective ownership. So it's very common that DAOs typically have their own token. They have some sort of governance token and owning that token gives you ownership of that community, of the value of that network uh, that that community produces. And it gives you decision-making rights. I can vote on how the DAO chooses to structure or how the DAO chooses to spend its money. Um, there's, there's DAOs coming out that are um, shared IP collectives. So they're like publishing research and the intellectual property of that research gets owned by all the community members. So anytime you need to have sort of decentralized uh, collective decision-making, uh, agile distributed teams, um, network effects, I think is something we talk a lot about in the applied world, like, oh, how do we make this content go viral or something like that? Like, and if you want those types of outcomes, DAOs are a really good option for that. I think actually that a lot of the consulting firms, the limited liability partnership model, I think that's actually a really good sort of use case for an old org structure that could become DAO later on. Well, let's talk about that. So um, I, I would have never thought about that. You, you got my wheels spinning about con consulting firms kind of being like a DAO. Could you tell us, so you started Talent DAO back in October. I think you and I connected maybe in December or something like that. And it was still very new at that point. And frankly, I'm too much of a normie to really understand what was going on. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about like what Talent DAO is, what you guys are doing, what's your mission, what's your vision, what you hope to accomplish? And I know it's probably, there's qu quite a few threads in that, but maybe we could talk about that. Yeah, so what Talent DAO is, uh, I like to describe them as sort of a research and data DAO. And we are effectively a community of uh, scientists, practitioners, uh, org design experts, and sort of DAO enthusiasts um, who are studying DAOs. Um, and we thought that the best way to do that is to be a DAO ourselves. Um, you know, I could have built sort of a traditional uh, research institution. I I had a great job at Deloitte. I probably could have convinced them to let me open up a, a blockchain think tank for my division. Like I had a ton of different ways to study DAOs, but I look at DAOs as sort of the greatest human coordination experiment of my lifetime. And I think that to truly understand that, the best way to do that was to be a participant. So we decided to start this sort of research think tank under the premise of forming a DAO. Um, and our vision is to become sort of the largest, most reputable sort of research thought leader on the DAO and Web3 ecosystem and be entirely community operated with no central authorities. All of our content and tools are open source and every piece of intellectual property we have is owned by the members of that DAO. Our mission is kind of twofold. We talk about it as decentralizing knowledge and unlocking talent. So we decentralize knowledge by publishing open source and providing sort of a very accessible body of information 
And then we unlock talent by, you know, we're bringing people into the DAO ecosystem. There's people that came from LinkedIn who hopped into my Discord server and they're like, this is the first DAO I've ever interacted with. I have no idea what you do, but I love it. I want to learn. Hey, Renee, what's a Discord server? Sorry, you got to explain these things. That's You just stop me when I need to come stuff. So Discord is actually a, um, it's like Slack or Microsoft Teams. Um, it is very popular, strangely, with the gaming community. And for whatever reason, all of the DAO and sort of crypto and blockchain communities have congregated around Discord. Um, and that, so that's basically where our organization sits as like a asynchronous communication hub where it's like a, like a message board sort of, or a message board. Yeah. Like we, you know, comparatively speaking, we run our entire organization off Slack is what it basically would be compared to like everything's async. There is no departments. There's only channels and categories. Like our org structure is our discord communication structure. And like you're doing all this as a grad student, right? I mean, like when I was a grad student, I was more worried about, you know, where we're going to drink on the weekends, you know, than creating a decentralized, totally <laughs> autonomous global network of research scientists, this sort of thing. Um, but you're hitting on all sorts of crazy topics that I think this is the future of work right here. This is the way organizations are going to go to remain agile and almost like amoeba-like to fill in the gaps where they need to. With that said, like you're hitting on topics such as like Web 2 and Web 3. What? Once again, I'm just a simple caveman here. Can you describe what these are to yeah, totally. layman audience? And um, I, so a great article that is actually pinned to my profile on LinkedIn. If you send it to us, we can put it in the show notes. If yes. you want. And I, I think it, it's called um, why I quit my day job to start a DAO. Um, and it has a really great screenshot of a tweet somebody sent out talking about the difference between web two and web three. So this is not my yeah. idea. I'm just communicating it here. But the easiest way I think about it in, in Web 2, which is where most of the world is at right now, Web 2 unlocked the ability to disseminate information, but all the value of that information, all your data is not truly owned by you. So the value you produce in society is not actually returned to you in the supply chains. And what do I actually mean by that? Let me give you a classic example about Facebook. Right, and they rebranded to Meta for many good reasons. Um, Facebook is free because you are the product. So any product in Web two that's free, you are actually the product. And what I, here's what I mean by that: when you use a product that's free, you often check a bunch of agreements and data agreements and privacy agreements, and all those agreements allow those companies to use your data. They sell it to marketers. They use it to profile you. Uh, they hire people like us and behavioral researchers to try to predict your behavior. And they build new products and services based on your insights. Like you are essentially our walking, talking um, R&D tool for these, for these companies. And none of that value goes back to you. Billions of dollars every year in data not getting returned to you. 
Web3 is entirely the opposite. So let's say there was a web free version of Facebook. Here's how this would kind of go. Imagine you get an email from Facebook and it's good old Zuckerberg. And he says, hi, Scott. I just wanted to let you know that we're really thankful that you're one of our early adopters of Facebook. The only reason we're successful is because every day people like you got up, used our platform and liked stuff and posted content. In light of this, we've decided to take our Web2 business model and become Web3. Beyond that, we're even going to start Facebook DAO. We have just dropped you 5,000 Facebook tokens. With these 5,000 Facebook tokens, you now have the ability to vote on the future of Facebook. You can vote on how we spend our money. You can vote on what we do with our product. You can vote on who should be the leaders. Welcome to the community-owned Facebook, the future of Web3. That's how that email would go. Obviously, they would never do that, but that's the difference. So in Web2, you don't own your data. In Web3, you do. So it's kind of like the creator economy is what we're in right now, like the big boom of the creator economy. The next phase is the ownership economy. Web3 gives us the ownership economy. That is such a revolutionary idea. And I feel like I, I'm just like a, a closet revolutionary. And that's why I just wanted, I wanted to have you on the podcast so bad, Renee. And first of all, I, I, this isn't even a question. I just want to compliment you. You guys have this newsletter. Um, I think it's called No DW. I'm not sure what that stands uh, for. Yeah, the newsletter of decentralized work. Yeah, the newsletter of decentralized work. And you guys have been publishing some great stuff. Like the fourth one, it was uh, it was called. Uh, let me see what it, what the title of it was. Introducing core DAO leadership or decentralized leadership. This might have been the best literature review I've ever seen of leadership period, not just in DAOs. And we'll put it, we'll tag to it in the show notes. But I, I guess like, this is some of the, like an example of some of the output that Talent DAO is putting together. Can you talk about that, that maybe specifically about that leadership one, or just in general, like what you guys are trying to do to kind of change the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at a high level, one of the reasons we started Talent DAO is because we have the opportunity to help build a industry starting with science, right? In, in, in our current sort of workspace, many IO psychologists are having to work backwards. They get hired in an organization. They're not doing any best practices. They're not being data-driven in their decisions. They have a bunch of bad habits and it's really hard to fix that. Well, DAOs are so nascent and so new, like you can actually start with best practices. The problem was though, there's nobody in the DAO space right now really doing good research to figure out like what works and how we should build these things. So like, we wanna see DAOs thrive. We believe that they're the future of work, but the only way they will succeed is if they're being built in a way that's empirically driven, scientifically driven, and not just intuition. Otherwise, we're just going to end up with the same type of people process and structure problems we see in other, you know, traditional works. Um, well, so, Renee, when, when you say that, it immediately makes me think of, OK, there's a lot of flaws with the traditional organization and you don't want to recreate those in a DAO. But what about like it seems like a DAO is so amorphous like the amoeba, like Scott was saying earlier. Is it, aren't there a bunch of potential flaws in how, how you would lead a DAO as well? And like, can you talk about some of the learnings that you guys have had in that regard as well? 
Yeah, great question. And that kind of gets to a good transition to talk about the decentralized leadership study. So like a big part of what we're doing is like, we're trying to figure out out of the last hundred years of organizational psych research, what is still applicable and what needs to be challenged. So that's kind of the crossroads we're at right now where it's like, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Some things we know works, like DAOs still have to worry about retention. DAOs members still need to be engaged. They still want to have psychological safety. So like we're starting to figure out the similarities and we're still figuring out the differences. And I think our lessons learned so far is that DAOs are somewhere in the middle of like a startup and a democracy or a government and like trying to figure out how to operate in a very fast and nimble way, but also in a way that includes everybody in the decision-making process that's, you know, where there's not unilateral decisions being made. Like it's very difficult. This is uh, Cole's kind of hitting on uh, the same question I have. Like a while ago, Renee, you mentioned that uh, IO psychologists will go into an organization and uh, essentially not use best practices. It's because like the organizational structure is such a burden on IOs when they go in, they can't conduct uh, true experiments. Uh, they can't, uh, you know, do all those great things we learned in the textbooks. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like it's kind of like, um, you know, one of the principles that Talendow has is like, we believe traditional work has failed us. And what we mean by that is the current sort of institutional structures and work paradigms cause coordination failures. And these human coordination failures are unrepairable in the current paradigms of work. And I think DAOs offer a superior mechanism for coordination and collaboration. Um, so that's kind of the direction that we're thinking. Um, you also mentioned uh, leadership a moment ago. Um, how, how would this work for, how does leadership work in such a system? In a traditional organization, of course, uh, you have, you know, kind of a top-down sort of uh, decision-making process. But in such a system, it sounds like a leader, if they were trying to transition from a hierarchy to a decentralized system, they would need to give up a lot of power. Yeah, and this was like a big part of this uh, decentralized leadership study that just came out that we got a research grant to do. Um, and we looked at like the last like 50 to 100 years of, of research and then we kind of picked it apart and figured out, okay, what, are, what parts of these apply to DAOs or not? And we came to the conclusion that um, DAOs sort of operate, like the goal of a leader is sort of two or three things. Like one, it's sort of to design yourself out of a role and make yourself inconsequential. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and it's to design a system, like how do you lead leaderlessly? And really like when I think about it as a leader, there are sort of two or three objectives I have. Like one, I want to create autonomous work structures. So this is a concept I've made up. And the idea is an autonomous work structure is everything you need to do your job and get it done. The processes, the practices, the, the playbook, as you will. But it's in a way that you can do that autonomously and you can achieve tasks without any sort of centralized task allocator any sort of centralized boss, anything like that. So like you should be able in a DAO to just hop in and do work if you want to. And this is very possible. A lot of DAOs organize around different functions or different interests. 
Like if I want to go hop into a DAO and do something, there should be a playbook, an autonomous work structure. Let me do that. The second thing I'm trying to do with DAOs is build self-managing teams. And that's huge. How does a compensation, maybe, maybe I'm just like thinking too old school and I am not hip on this web three, like how would like compensation work in such a system? Like yeah, Scott, I, I you're, can you're kind of cutting uh, out. Let me, uh, let me jump in here. Uh, okay. So yeah, sorry. It's, it's okay. It's um, Scott's in Germany. So his internet's kind of messing up. So Renee, I mean, I think this is the normal person question. Like, how do you pay for the groceries? How do you pay for rent? Like if you're going to, you know, quit your job at Deloitte and then go do this, like if, if, if somebody else at Deloitte wanted to do that, how, how would they continue to live a, a semi-normal life outside of the Dow? Yeah, great question. This is like a very, uh, very big elephant in the room uh, for many Dows right now is how to pay their people. So it really depends on if like any startup, you have to make money. It, like the Dow has to produce revenue. Um, the business models look obviously very different. Um, so there's a lot of creative ways to make money, but ultimately you need to pay people. And so far there's two or three ways people are getting paid in DAOs. By far the most common is getting paid in that DAO's native token. Uh, Talent DAO is pre-launch right now. We don't have our token launched right now, so that's not an option. So it becomes more of like an equity situation where our core contributors have sort of like this proof of work. Yeah, exactly. This sort of proof of work credentials that we issue them, that uh, they actually have a reputation score and that reputation changes over time. And that will allow them to redeem a certain amount of tokens upon launch. Um, but many of the DAOs I work in, they pay me in their, their token. And then I can choose to sell it for uh, like stable coin if I want to get like USDC, which is like equivalent to cash. And then I can take that and I can transfer it to an exchange and then transfer that money to my traditional bank account if I need it. Um, but a lot of DAOs, like some of the larger, more financial protocols that have like, you know, a billion dollar treasury, like they are very capable and comfortable running their compensation model a bit more traditionally. So like they pay people in salaries and stable coin and like you have like an ongoing paycheck in addition to your tokens. But for most of like the new DAOs that are sort of uh, still not profitable, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, we're basically printing money to pay people with the expectation that the runway that we've given ourselves with that magic money printer is enough to become profitable. And obviously, like that is a scaling issue where I think, you know, most DAOs right now have about two to three years to figure it out or they will fail. It is inevitable. Um, and that's okay. This is a very new industry. Um, so we expect a lot of DAOs to fail, but yeah, that's how, that's kind of how most DAOs are comping people. And that's, uh, how we're comping people is based off project and bounties. So it's funny. So what you're predicting is two to three years from now, there's going to be like the DAO.com bust. So we should all get ready. Is that, is that what you're saying, Renee? I, I you know, I'm just uh, saying that kind of tongue in cheek. Um, yeah, no, definitely though. Um, there was like this, um, there was the ICO bubble back in like yeah. 2017, 2018. So like everybody was doing these uh, initial coin offerings and like ton of speculation was going on. Uh, the very first DAO ever was actually just called the DAO. Like it's literally called the DAO. And it's infamous because it just imploded and like millions of dollars just went poof. 
and like it was very sketchy and like a horrible first impression of what a DAO could be. And that was back in that period of great speculation. Well, do you mind if we circle back to something you were talking about earlier? Because you really got me intrigued. But um, Scott had a great question about how, how does somebody get paid? So you were talking about one of the things that motivates you. I think you, you said autonomous work and like, uh, I can't remember the exact term, but like leaderless, self-organized teams. <clears throat> does that have anything to do with you guys' latest article about structural adaptation theory? Are those related at all? Because uh, I know the, the article is sort of a teaser for a, an article that hasn't been written yet. So maybe you could talk to us about that. Yeah, sure. So that is a very interesting topic that I will try not to become incredibly uh, boring about it because it, it it's actually a more academic concept. So it comes from traditional organization design theory. And the notion of structural adaptation theory uh, is really related to the idea of of organizational change, right? We know change is hard. Um, if you need to change uh, the structure of the organization or even more difficult, the mindsets in the culture of an organization, there's always going to be resistance. And so far, like we think of change as a largely sort of linear process most of the time, like a left to right. Structural adaptation theory actually looks at change as a process from left to right and right and left and left to right again. So like it views change as asymmetrical. And what that means is it views that not all change is equal. Some types of changes are harder than others. And in the context of DAOs, where I'm taking this article, what I'm gonna talk about next is DAOs need to be more focused on progressive decentralization than they need to be focused on progressive centralization. And what I mean by that is when you're building a complex system, it's much easier to introduce more agency and decentralization into that system than it is to try and reduce complexity and increase centralization. And this is proven by structural adaptation theory. So there's been like both survey-based research, there's been simulations, all these things that basically found uh, if you build a team that's centralized, there's like maybe only one leader making decisions, or you know, compensation is individual based, um, or you know, it's very hierarchical org structure. When that team decides to become more decentralized, like move, maybe they move to a shared leadership model, that process is far easier than the other way around. Well, so it, that's kind of kind of going full circle to the the beginning of this conversation where we were talking about, you know, what would it take for a traditional organization to transition to become a DAO or a web two company to transition to becoming a web three company. This theory is basically stating why that would be so much harder than it is for a DAO perhaps to become like a traditional LLC or a corporation. Exactly. And that's why like the, the, the urgency of getting this information out here for me is very high because you have a lot of people that are launching DAOs fully decentralized, like pure chaos, very big mission vision, no playbook, no roles or responsibility, no decision rights. And what ends up happening is like they magically print money for about six months, everything's great. And then suddenly they've hit Dunbar's law and they need to scale and they don't know what to do. And they say, okay, well, I guess we need to go back. Let's create a committee. Let's create some sort of centralized entity to figure this out. I'm in DAOs right now that have 50,000 people in the Discord server, hundred plus contributors. And they're saying, Renee, please help us figure out how to be structured. 
And I'm saying, guys, you have already created a culture and an expectation. People do not expect any structure. They want their autonomy. You have already given them all the benefits of decentralization and stripped them of all the pros of centralization. And moving backwards, it is an incredibly complex and challenging organizational change process. So I'm hoping by getting this theory out here, people will realize that you know, there's no one right way to build a DAO, but the decisions you do and the order you decide those decisions really matters and getting them wrong has serious consequences. So it's very much an org design focused article and very, uh, very much focused on the idea of like, how do you tweak task structure, incentive rewards and things like that. Not, not to like pepper you with questions, but how does the order matter? Like what, what order should be taken? Yeah, so generally speaking from the literature I've seen so far, and the personal experience I have, a DAO should sort of start as a more centralized entity with the intention to hand over the decision-making power to the community. That's why Talent DAO, when you go to our bio um, in like LinkedIn, we describe ourselves as a digital organization building a decentralized community. And what I mean by that is we recognize the fact that we have a centralized team, we are fully digital, and we uh, obviously are very native to Web3, but we're still an organization. I have an LLC that's structured to handle all the tax and you know legal compliance of the DAO, but the vision for Talent DAO is to take everything we've built and hand it off to our community when that community is ready for it. We've got a great community, very active, 700 Discord members, a couple thousand followers on Twitter, at least a dozen, maybe 20, 30 people show up on our community call every week, but we're still not ready. Some DAOs reject that sentiment and truly believe, no, you can fully decentralize from the start. We don't know that for sure yet. Uh, a great example of this is Colt DAO. We definitely don't have time to talk about them. They're an investment DAO. They're a fully decentralized investment DAO. Um, I don't know if it's gonna work because they didn't start with any centralized team and that's fine. But I know from what I know about org design so far, anytime you're building a system, it's easier to start with high control, low autonomy than it is to start with low control, high autonomy. So that's what I mean by the order of things. Well, Renee, before we got on the, we got started recording the podcast, we were talking a little bit about the relationship between people analytics and the blockchain and what the future looks like. I think you had some thoughts or some questions there. I don't know, maybe maybe you could kind of turn the tables on us a little bit. Yeah, I would love to ask you a couple of questions. So I guess like, you know, my first question is just, um, I, I used to spend a ton of time following like the main people analytics influencers and kind of keeping up with, uh, you know, the big topics. I'm very out of touch because I'm in my sort of DAO crypto bubble right now. So I guess like I spend two, three minutes just like catching me up. Like what have I missed over the last 12 months in people analytics? Uh, what are the new big ideas? What are the problems trying to be solved? And then maybe I can kind of take, uh, you know, my perspective and Web3 spin on that. And Scott, I'm going to throw that question at you. <laughs> oh, of course. Great. Uh, so this is like a common topic that Cole and I have that, uh, 
we get like essentially a uh, once a year download of information from PSYOP. We go there, we learn from other practitioners, this sort of thing. Otherwise, we don't really have this sort of like uptake of information. Uh, just from what I'm seeing, though, in like different podcasts and different uh, LinkedIn articles, people are uh, really concerned about the future of work. People are really concerned about uh, like diversity and equity. Uh, and people are really concerned about, say, like uh, return to office right now. Those are probably three of the biggest topics that I see floating around. And I don't know if anyone has a really good answer yet to any of those. Perhaps DAOs are a starting point for a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, I'm going to punt it to Cole now. See yeah, no, I think so. Like, I, I published an article earlier this week about the future of work, <clears throat> and when when I see other people talking about this topic, they're like, "Well, is it remote? Is it in person? How many days a week is it hybrid?" <laughs> and they, they they present it in these ways, and it's like, man, this is so stale and boring. And so I, I included a few things in there that were sort of related to our discussion today. One was about pseudonymity and anonymity versus being identified. Another was about how, um, you know, I actually referenced DAOs in there about as a way of a different way of structuring the future of work, um, how automation is going to play a role in kind of disrupting the traditional job and how that, you know, people may need a soft landing place like a DAO to be able to generate income and kind of like, like a lot of people call it the gig economy. But I think what we're really talking about is, you know, how can you have multiple forms of employment? Like R Renee briefly touched on this earlier, but you can be a member of many DAOs all at once. It's not like you're tied to one like traditional job. And then I think about things like, Renee, you asked us the question about like, is people analytics going onto the blockchain? I don't hear anybody talking about that at all. I, I remember hearing a few years ago, like when somebody was trying to explain the blockchain, they came up with a humorous way of saying it. <laughs> Anytime someone says the word blockchain, replace it with database and you've got a, a better way of describing what it is. Now, People Analytics is probably overusing databases at this point or data lakes. I, you don't hear yeah. that much about data lakes anymore, but a lot of people were talking about you know cloud computing and data lakes at least the last few years. But I don't know, how would you envision it, Renee? Like what would a people analytics with, with blockchain as the center of it look like? Yeah, so I think like, if I have to keep this very concise, I think the most disruptive sentence- You, you don't have to be concise, we got plenty of time. <laughs> is, so imagine if there was a people analytics firm that came to you and said, okay, we have this engagement survey um, and, you know, we're going to do all this work for you, you know, take the survey, we'll give you a, a diagnostic and uh, sort of assess the situation, you know, all that kind of typical consulting stuff. And at the very end, you said, awesome, this looks great. Like, how much does it cost? And how do you protect the data? And like, you know, how's the data stored and stuff like that? And you say, oh, it actually costs nothing. We're going to pay you to do it. And the data actually is owned by the users and it's fully anonymized, but it's on the blockchain for everyone to see. And you kind of look and you say, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. How can you pay me to do a people analytics project? And I say, oh, well, because we take your data, if you choose to opt in, we actually have this data marketplace. And anytime anybody queries that data marketplace, there's a transaction fee. 
and we actually share the profits of that transaction fee back to your users at your company. And you say, wow, how is that even possible? And it says, oh, it's because instead of our business model being we take your data and sell it to a marketer to make money, we actually take that data and open source it to the world as value. And that's how we make money. And then we cut you in on that because you're the one that helped us create that value. So the future of like Web3 people analytics is all about data transparency. It's all about data ownership being returned to the people producing it. And it's all about the insights being readily available to everyone and not just some sort of proprietary algorithm. So I, I love this. And I, I don't know if I came across it through you or, or someone else in the crypto community, Renee, but one of the things that's really been frustrating me over the last few years is this whole debate about employee data privacy and kind of nefarious actors in the people analytics world who aren't necessarily doing the right things with employee data. And what you're saying or what you're proposing is flipping that all on its head because now the employee is the one who stands to benefit from their data being used rather than it being kind of this ethical quandary that it can be sometimes because the whether the, whether or not the employee stands to benefit is sort of up to the morality of the HR function or the people analytics team at, at stake. And right. this this takes morality out of the equation. And so I love that. And again, this is back to me kind of being a closet revolutionary. I love these kind of things that are kind of flipping things on their head. Well, it's not too dissimilar from what Apple does with your phone either. I mean, data becomes exponentially more valuable when it's shared with other people. So when you're driving down the road with your phone and there's a wreck, you can see that that portion of the, red, that portion of the road turns red and it's going to take longer to traverse that section. And it sounds like you're kind of talking about the same thing where uh, employees will fill out a survey, an engagement survey, and then it gets uh, broader insights across different organizations is that right yeah exactly so to, to go off your like uh, apple maps example there's actually a protocol I, the name escapes me but there's a protocol being built where it's like an open source uh, sort of like google maps framework and you opt in to share your geolocation data and doing that that protocol will actually pay you in their native token because oh, wow. you're sharing that location data and there's people, um, you know, the, 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 the amount being paid in like the US, it's very trivial, but like this is literally saving people's lives in third world country. Like people think, oh, crypto is a scam. Crypto is literally saving people's lives. It's making them being able to feed themselves because there's these apps where they can share their data and they are making money from that. And that's life changing. And, you know, once that scales up to the commercial solutions, I mean, these Web2 people analytics firms are going to be terrified. How are they going to compete with somebody like me who has the exact same product, <laughs> except my product you make money on instead of spending it? Oh, and like, by the way, like you could have a system where you could actually take your data with you. You could have your data wrapped and represented as an NFT and you could stake that with, say, Google. And if you want to move and go to Amazon, you can unstake that data, take it with you and bring it with. So like your on-chain resume is a concept we talk a lot about. That resume becomes mobile and it becomes yours. And, you know, it strikes me that if we're going to be sharing data, like we almost need like a data usage manifesto for employees to understand. 
how their data is going to be used and uh, in explicit terms. Or like a data bill of rights or something. Yeah, you know? I like that. I love that. I love that. I actually, so after I finished writing this part two of this structural adaptation theory uh, article that just came out in the newsletter, uh, my next article is actually people analytics in Web3 and the implications of that. So it's going to be breaking down everything I've talked about. I will use like concrete examples. I'm going to talk about the protocols that exist today to make this possible right now not the future right now. The only thing stopping me from having this system up is capital. And that capital is coming, we acquire more capital every single day, it's only a matter of time. And there's other people building the same type of solutions. So these things are gonna come very quickly. In the next three to five years, you're gonna see the first sort of web three native people analytics solutions in the market. Well, this, this may be a little bit of inside baseball here, but there may be some listeners who are wanting to start their own DAO or join Talent DAO or something along those lines. How do you guys acquire capital? Like, how would somebody who's wanting to strike it on their own do this? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the traditional route, like VC funding, angel investors. Uh, there's many uh, web free companies and DAOs that are doing that. Um, I think the ultimate sort of uh, gold standard of like proof of proof of success is community funding. So a lot of DAOs, when they launch their token or they have like an NFT membership project, they expect the community to be the ones to bootstrap them. Um, so a lot of communities had a completely uh, just fair launch where they launched like NFT, it's sold out. They now have like, you know, the average NFT project might have a few thousand um, editions of that NFT and have like a mint price for a couple hundred dollars. Like if you mint all those, that's like two to three million in seed funding. So now you're bootstrapped. Well, let, let's change this up. I got, I've got one last question for you, Renee. Um, it's probably kind of the elephant in the room for any of the, the people who are interested in crypto in the audience. <clears throat> the last few months, crypto has taken it in the chin quite a bit. <clears throat> Can you talk at all about how that has impacted you know, Talent DAO or any of the other DAOs that you've been a part of or how you see it impacting the future of people analytics on the blockchain or any impacts along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wish we had more time. Just the last four months in crypto, there's been a series of events that have taken place to kind of manifest where we're at. Um, and I will say that the common denominator here is all of the major bubbles that have busted in crypto were actually centralized systems and institutional investors that screwed us. Um, DeFi didn't fail. Crypto didn't fail. Ethereum is humming along fine. Bitcoin is humming along fine. I'll tell you exactly what happened. So there's, there's two or three events that happened. The first one that was absolutely devastating, there is a company called Terra Luna. And Terra Luna has their own stable coin. And a stable coin is a crypto that's supposed to stay around a dollar. It's ergo stable. Yeah, their stable coin wasn't so stable, was it? No, it wasn't. It went from a $50 billion market cap to less than 10 million within seven days. There was people who literally owned hundreds of millions of dollars that by the end of the week were penniless. I mean, this was absolutely tragic. It got a ton of attention. And ultimately it was because this stable coin had no collateral behind it. So this company built this stable coin and the only thing that collateralized it was their governance token. And their governance token was incredibly fickle incredibly volatile, didn't have a ton of liquidity behind it. And what happened is there was a certain point where this token 
the stable coin hit about 97 cents on the dollar. And a bunch of like liquidity providers, they tried to defend the peg. I mean, Terra Luna, like they were buying billions of dollars. They sold billions of Bitcoin to try to, you know, defend this peg. And they just kept buying up all the liquidity, but they just couldn't keep up. And as soon as it hit like 96.8 cents, it just crashed and it just kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And it got to where I think it was less, it was worth like a penny. And I mean, people went bankrupt, this ruined people's lives. So that's the first thing that happened. Then another one that happened uh, was this company called Three Arrows Capital. And this is incredibly scandalous. Basically what they did is they spent a bunch of other people's money on crypto and then they leveraged up on that crypto, like incredibly, like they took out collateralized loans and had way too much borrowed against the value of their assets. And when the market went down, they got liquidated. Like, billions of dollars liquidated. So now they owe billions of dollars to all these different protocols, to all these different peoples. And on top of that, some of the founders literally absconded, like just poofed, <laughs> ran away, said, I don't know what to do. This is very stressful. Let's disappear. So now there's a lawsuit in place. There's a bunch of people that have lost billions of dollars that are looking. So it's just been a mess. But the messaging here is Ethereum didn't fail. Bitcoin didn't fail everything's still running, all the principles of decentralized finance and crypto that are like good, none of that failed. What failed is the selfish people that were either A, using centralized technology like Luna, or B, getting greedy and being the prototypical institutional investors like Rios Capital. So that is kind of what's crashed the market and people like me who are just builders in this space really aren't faced by it. Um, like we're kind of just humming along. The crypto community is very heads down. We're all building right now. Morale is surprisingly high. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. That that's that's pretty amazing with all that's gone on. And I'll, I'll say that <clears throat> I'm not going to get too personal here, but I have been affected with the downstream consequences of the three arrows capital work myself, and so I'm kind of ticked off about that. But that's a story for another day. <clears throat> Scott, any any final words from you? Yeah, absolutely. Renee, it's been fantastic talking to you. Can you uh, tell folks how to join the Discord or uh, get involved with TalentDAO? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find our Discord on the website, talentdao.io. You can get involved there. Uh, you can also found a, find us on Twitter at TalentDAO. Uh, we got a link to the Discord there. Uh, we also have a LinkedIn uh, TalentDAO, the same thing. You can uh, send me a DM on LinkedIn, Renee Davis. Um, all of those are ways to get you into the Discord server. All right. Well, with that said, you have been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Renee, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great. Thanks, guys. See you. See you.